Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 1st of October. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. The clock ticks down at a quicker pace today than any other day over the past three years when the people of the United Kingdom decided to leave the European Union. On this, the first day of the month, there is much confusion over what will happen in 30 days from now when the Halloween deadline for Brexit arrives on the 31st of October. October. Thus far, a deal on how the UK will leave has proved to be elusive. That means uh, no deal Brexit looms unless an alternative can be found. And that is, of course, to the obstacle of what is known as the backstop. This morning, the British Prime Minister has been speaking to the BBC. I think they also want to see a new chapter, a positive new chapter in our relations. Because one of the most frustrating things, I'm a pro- European. I actually love Europe. Uh, I believe that the UK is one of the, the quintessential European cultures. We should be supporting our European friends and partners, but in a different way. Pro-European, but determined to leave. Boris Johnson says reports from RTE that he is suggesting customs checks some miles back from the border in both jurisdictions are wrong. Absolutely not. No. no. And, and there are very good reasons why that would not be a, a good idea. And I think everybody who's familiar with the situation in, in, in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, can understand why we wouldn't want both for, both for, 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 for practical reasons and, and also, you know, for, for reasons of sentiment that we totally, totally understand. Okay. So for reasons of sentiment and other reasons, there won't be checks some miles back from the border. But Prime Minister Johnson told told the BBC there is no avoiding customs checks on the island of Ireland. Because that's just the reality. And I think that what we're coming up to now is, as it were, the, the critical moment of, of choice for us as friends and partners about how we proceed. Because in the end, a uh, sovereign united country must have a single customs territory. And when, I, when the UK withdraws, from the EU, that must be uh, the state of affairs that we have. And, but there are plenty of ways in which we can facilitate uh, north-south trade, plenty of ways which we can address the problem. And 
without going into the details of, of our proposals, which I'm, I think probably will send our, uh, our, our listeners uh, reaching for the off button, uh, the, there are the ways in which we can protect the unity of the, uh, of the market in, in, in the whole of the island of Ireland. And you, you'll have studied that, that. You know what, what, what we're trying to do. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking to BBC Radio 4 today. Jim Wells, DUP MLA for South Down on the line. You heard the Prime Minister there talk about what is just a reality, that there will have to be customs checks on this island. Uh, and I'm sure you won't contradict the Prime Minister. No, definitely not. And Mike, we're just entering the most momentous month in the history of the British Isles since the war. I think you and I will be discussing the whole the series of complex issues throughout October. I agree entirely. Of course, we're going to have to have customs checks. But, I mean, Mike, remember, I'm old enough to remember when Northern Ireland and the Republic weren't in the European Union, and we still treated quite happily, albeit with customs checks. And I've no doubt with modern technology, many of the problems can be overcome. Which technology? Trusted trader. The, the phrase that's been, not been used at all in the Irish Republic, uh, 40% of Northern Ireland's goods already are exported under trusted trader outside of the EU. Basically what that means is that the companies carry out all the customs checks and make all their necessary payments and certify all the goods in the factory. They're then exported to South Africa, Japan or wherever, and the first that they're checked is when they arrive in the factory or the, or the, the sales person at the other end. Well tried and tested technology, which has been going on for years. Secondly, I ordered my Christmas cards a month ago. I was able to track those Christmas cards the whole way from Bedfordshire to Banbridge and County Down with no difficulty. So the technology is now there to overcome many of the problems that are perceived. And as time wears on, most companies will adopt modern technology and really the, the need for physical customs points will, will glad, gradually diminish. Perhaps so, but if not uh, agreed, the result will be a hard border, uh, and that is why... What's there, wrong with, the, what's and that, wrong and, with and, that? Well, that's why there is this insurance policy to avoid a hard border, the backstop. Yes, but, but, but the, the whole purpose of avoiding a hard border is to stop there being physical checks. Initially, many goods won't be checked, and gradually, as technology moves on, fewer and fewer goods will be checked, and of course, the human traffic back and forward. You and I will be able to zoom up and down uh, from Belfast to Dublin mm. with no difficulty whatsoever because because the common travel area still exists. But my question uh, so to you is that even if the suggestion you're making uh, is viable, it is only a suggestion. It hasn't been uh, agreed with 27 other European countries. Uh, and until such time, which cannot take place until the United Kingdom leaves the European Union, there has to be uh, mechanisms for withdrawing from the European Union and that's the stage that we're at now and to make sure that that doesn't uh, go belly up uh, and we end up with a hard border uh, there is this insurance policy in place which is called the backstop. Yes, but I mean, as I've said to you many times, Mike, the difficulty with the backstop is that once you're in, you can never leave without the consent of the Irish Republic and the Irish Republic will 
constantly veto us leaving the backstop or extract such a price that's totally unacceptable. But the, the whole purpose of the backstop will gradually disappear as this modern technology is used to ensure that there isn't really a need for a physical presence on the border. And of course, it won't be in the border. It'll be, if it ever happens, it'll be many miles back. But the, the problem with the trusted trader is it works and works very well. The problem is that, is that so far only 40% of our goods are exported using it. Now, I would suspect that as time wears on, almost every company will adopt that technology and gradually these uh, checks will be no longer needed. But there will be no physical presence in the border no matter what happens. You will drive up and down and no one will know whether you're in the Irish Republic or Northern Ireland. You'll just seamlessly drive from one to the other. So I think a lot of this is being uh, suggested to transcure people into remaining within the European Union. Uh, Northern Ireland survived quite happily for mm. its first 50 years outside um, the European Union, and I have no doubt it's a very bright future ahead. So, I mean, stop creating sort of false uh, alarms. I mean, this, with a will, this can happen. But I tell you, it doesn't matter what the Northern Ireland government or the British government proposes, mm. I, sus- I suspect that Leo Bradshaw will refuse it. But it can, it, it can only happen, if it can happen at all, after the 31st of October, after the Brexit deadline, because that would be part of the future relations uh, agreement. Yes. Uh, and after, after Brexit, then, there's this two-year transition period yes. when issues like this can be sorted out. And people have forgotten that. It's not going to be a stark change. But people will wake up in the morning of the 1st of November and not really notice a huge dis- difference. Mm. And then for two years, there will be the negotiations of how we actually... Uh, uh, sort out the modalities, as it were, of the United Kingdom no longer... But the Irish government and the other 26 governments agree with Ireland that there should be an insurance policy in place. And I I think the reason for that is obvious. Uh, The British are not trustworthy. Well, of course, the discussion has now moved on to some form of temporary backstop, maybe for two or three years, uh, not binding on either side. Now, that might provide some reassurance to the the Prime Minister of the Irish Republic and others, uh, because that will give further time for the transition to happen. uh, And it means that Northern Ireland still leaves the European Union on exactly the same basis as the rest of the I, 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 I don't think it has, has it? Uh, I mean, I know Arlene Foster was asked about it and she said she'd look at it uh, and uh, then took umbrage with people who said she'd accept it. Uh, and apart from that, nobody else is willing to accept a time-limited ta- backstop because it's an oxymoron. Well, the, the problem is, Mike, is that every time various options are suggested to get shot down by leading media presenters like yourself. Mm. And, and then you wonder why you're not being taken in to, to, to learn about the, what's going on behind the scenes. OK, so we'll give you an insurance policy, a guarantee that there will never be a hard border on the island of Ireland uh, for two years. How can you do something that will never happen for two years? Well, it does provide reassurance to the Irish Republic to watch the uh, workings of Brexit so they can see what is actually going to happen on the ground. And also to give time mm. to the traders, because the, uh, the, the problem with the backstop is not something physical on the ground. Mm. It's the point about trading. But that gives the traders the time to adopt the new technology so that you don't actually need any customs checks anywhere. But this is a, a, a British government that spent two and a half years, wasn't it, negotiating a deal, agreeing to a deal, and then welching on that deal, which is now led by a, a different Prime Minister who appears to have lied to, to, to the Queen. Well, well, first of all, I, I wouldn't. I don't believe the the Supreme Court judgment actually agreed that the Prime Minister had told untruths to Her Majesty. But second, but secondly, 
do, do remember, we need trust to break out here. We need time. And I think after two years... Well, you have time. By law, the Prime Minister must beg for time. Uh, 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 but he appears uh, to have no regard for the law and is willing to break the law. I, I believe that he has spotted some technical way of getting around what is known as the Ben Bill. Um, uh, that it is possible for him still to get out on the 31st of October uh, with no deal, which nobody wants. Absolutely nobody wants. But He's been it, investigated it, for impropriety in public office. Well, of course, if every Irish Prime Minister had been sacked on the basis of impropriety in public office, you'd be a bit thin on the ground in Leinster House, wouldn't you? So don't don't give up, after the Charlie Hockey's of this world, don't give us a lecture on um, impropriety at the hands of okay, the government. Okay, okay, fair point. But even if two rights make, uh, uh, or two wrongs make a, a right, uh, well, uh, then there is this other question about squeezing a journalist's thigh. Well, I, I would never... <laughs> confirm or deny the truth in any of that. All I can say is that it took the journalists a very long time to report the issue. If it had a serious assault, it should have been reported to the authorities immediately. And I'm not suggesting for one moment there's a word of truth in any of this. Not, not, of, not, not to mention leaving MPs in tears because of his inappropriate comments about Joe Cox. Well, again, he has clarified those remarks quite fully. And you've got to remember that it was a very heated debate when things were said, which maybe shouldn't have on both sides. But the reality is... He may have clarified them to your satisfaction, but not to the satisfaction of his sister, Rachel, who said he's left people without a democratic choice anymore. If I was in tears every time someone had said that to me, the Kleenex would be a banned shares in Kleenex. Can I assure you that that's what happens in politics? It has clarified it, and people in Parliament have to accept that that's the rough and tumble that occurs. But I mean, the fact is that the reason why Boris Johnson would have so much support in the United Kingdom, it's not because he's, he's training to be a cleric. It's because he's, it's believed he's the only person who has the will to get us out of Europe. And people will forgive any discretion, indiscretion as long as he delivers on the will of the people, which is to get out of, out of Europe. And people genuinely believe that he, of all people, has got the, the, the strength of personality to get us out of this institution, which 17.4 million people voted to leave. And that's why people have such trust in Boris. Regard, I mean, he has his faults like everyone else, mm. but... We believe he's the best bet to get us out of Europe. And, I, Mike, I know that people in the Irish Republic worship at the, uh, at the shrine of Strasbourg and Brussels on a daily basis and believe that the sun shines yes. out, of, out of the Eurocrats in, in, in Belgium. But the point is, an awful lot of people in the United Kingdom, including quite a substantial number in Northern Ireland, want rid of this institution, want our freedom and want to get out. And they see Boris as the best bet to achieve that. And how can he do that? Because uh, there is this ban bill which requires him to seek a, a, an extension. You said you think uh, that he has uh, found a way around that. It's been suggested that that way that he may have found around it is to ask Europe to say that they won't give an extension before he goes looking for it. The other option is that he sends the letters required by Parliament and then rescinds it. I mean, the bill is fairly loosely worded and may not hold our government to remaining within the European Union after the 31st of October. What I'd love to have, Mike, is the headlines in your local paper dated the 3rd of November 2019. Mm. I'd love to know how this is going to pan out. And the only thing is certain that I will be speaking to to Ireland's highest paid local uh, presenter for the next month on this issue. It's a very complex one. But, But remember... And I noticed you didn't disagree with that comment. But what I would, 
<laughs> and, and, and definitely worth every mm. penny of your fabulous salary, could I say, Mike? Worth every penny. Thank you. But could I just say that um, this is going to be the most complex and difficult month. I don't know where it's going to go, but the will of the people in the United Kingdom, and remember this, the will of the people, we don't do what the Irish mm. Republic do and do best out of three when it comes to referenda. The will of the people is to get out. Boris Johnson, for all his personal faults, is the best person to deliver on that, and we wish him well. And we also know that the Irish Republic will do everything to thwart the will of the people of the United Kingdom. And when you wish Mr. Johnson well, as you do... In achieving Brexit, uh, will you also be thanking him uh, before he gets to that stage uh, for introducing abortion against your will? Against he, did, he, he didn't. I mean, we mustn't heal that one, Mike. And I'm surprised someone who's normally as well briefed as yourself, your team of researchers, clearly have got this wrong. Mm. This was a bill that was hijacked by Labour through Stella Creasy, yeah. who introduced an amendment to bring about unlimited abortion up to 28 weeks in Northern Ireland. And that is a dreadful situation that we face on the 21st of October. But Boris Johnson certainly had no part in that. And we are doing everything possible at the minute in Northern Ireland to stop that falling over a moral precipice where tens of thousands of Northern Ireland babies' lives will be at risk. Is that not the point, that he, he didn't do, that he had no hand actor part in it? Uh, because, uh, I mean, no, this, is, this is a fellow who can uh, stick two fingers up to the law and uh, not uh, look for an extension to the Brexit deal, but can't stop abortion being introduced in Northern Ireland. Well, well because, because of the, the, the vehicle that was used by Stella Creasy... He has to respect the law. He has to. He has, he to, has respect, to respect the law. The will of Parliament. Sometimes, something that, something that we <laughs> frantically try to stop um, is perhaps even more serious, as far as I'm concerned, than Brexit. Mm. Already, I believe four and a half thousand children have had their lives ended in the Irish Republic since you, you introduced abortion on demand. We don't want that on Northern Ireland. We're trying everything to stop it. But actually, the thing, Boris Johnson's fingerprints are nowhere near this. And I mean, uh, the majority of Conservative MPs actually voted against the amendments which allowed this to happen. But I do accept we are in a dreadful situation. And in three weeks' time, mm. Northern Ireland could go from the most protective society for the unborn child to the most liberal. People could be coming from the Republic mm. and the rest of the United Kingdom to avail of our extremely lax abortion laws, and that is a crisis. Under a Conservative DUP government. Uh, well, it wasn't actually. It was voted through by Labour. Yes, and but of, it's a Conservative uh, DUP government. Yes, and that is uh, something that's highly regrettable that Labour MPs used mechanisms in the House of Commons to push this through against the will of all of the MPs in Northern Ireland who take their seats and against the will of the majority. So at the time time when the DUP is the organ grinder of the British government, abortion is going to be introduced to Northern Ireland. And, And that is a tragedy, an absolute tragedy, and we are doing everything possible to try and prevent that happening. Do you think it will be prevented? I don't know, Mike, and I must say, personally, if I can go off message here, I am deeply worried personally about where we're going as a province because we're going to lose traditional marriage and we're going to lose the right of the unborn child in three weeks' time 
And this, to me personally, is the most important issue. This is even more important to me than Brexit. I was being absolutely honest with you. Mm-hmm. And we're all deeply worried about it. We're campaigning as hard as we can for sense to prevail. We pull back from this moral precipice that we're about to go over. Because remember, 4,500 babies have had mm-hmm. their lives ended in the Irish Republic in the short time since your referendum. No, and, I, did- and I know that it is that important to you, but I, I, I think it, it highlights uh, the disarray that there is in British politics at the moment. Oh, yeah, it, it absolutely does, because this wouldn't have happened had it not been for the chaos that now reigns in Westminster. But we are in a terribly difficult position and that to me actually is more of a priority at the minute than Brexit. I'm not saying something because Brexit is very important to me. Okay, we'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you as always for joining us here on the programme this morning. DUP MLA for South Down, Jim Wells. Michael Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, the National Federation of uh, Pensioners Associations are to hold a demonstration outside of uh, Leinster House uh, today. Michael Casey is uh, the president of uh, the Federation and he's on uh, the line with us uh, this morning. Good morning to you, Michael, and thanks uh, for joining us. What is it that you're protesting Uh, about? uh, Good morning, Michael. Uh, Well, it's uh, a lot of things. The shopping basket is very full. Okay. But it's mainly arbitration, representation, and commissioner for all the people, and restoration of the household bag. Uh, to, de- to deal with that shopping basket, as you described it. Yeah, well, briefly, they're the main things. Arbitration for people in uh, company, uh, in occupational pension funds. Uh, the, when you leave a company, you have no right to go to the WRC or Labour Court. Uh, only you have a gap of six months, and after that, you're out on your own. And uh, we're trying to get that to go back pre nineteen seventy two seventy three. And when you when you say you're out on your own, uh, you rely on uh, getting your own independent legal advice. Yes, yes, that's okay. that's your problem. And, and um, then the commissioner for all the people, we want the same as Northern Ireland, Edmund chap in Northern Ireland, and they they have a scheme that looks after all the people that have been attacked in their home or uh, burgled and. They operate with the TSMI in the north, and we're looking for something similar with the Guardian in the site. And uh, the, the, he operates uh, 24-7-365, not a 9-to-5 job. Okay. Uh, and uh, when you talk uh, about arbitration in relation uh, to pension disputes uh, and that sort of thing, because of uh, the cost of getting independent legal advice, I, I gather that some people give up the ghost. They do. They do. In actual fact, there was at a meeting at Loan lately for a, a widow of uh, an employee. Uh, eight months after the man died, he, he was in Galway Regional Hospital on the medical town. He was suffering from Parkinson's disease. Eight months later, the wife gets a bill for 18,000 like an office shop for any old age pensioner to, to get. You know, it's mm. uh, frightening. They seem to think that's real. We have pockets bulging with gold. And she had to find 18,000, was it? No, well, she went went back and told him that he was on a medical card and she hadn't got 18,000 to pay them. And then that that was accepted, but she had the the trauma and the stress. uh, Oh, the trauma hmm. and the stress of eight months later when she thought everything was sorted out, like, you know. Hmm. Like, uh, we're trying to help pensioners to... What we want, actually, is get all pension organisations to cooperate. With, with each other to form a lobby group. And uh, because the politicians, when people go in in small groups, they are just, oh, yes, yes, we know what you want and all the rest, but mm. we need power. Feet in the streets is what we want. 
Okay, and that's, and, uh, and that's what you're hoping for today uh, yeah. at uh, the the doll when you hold uh, this protest, uh, which I think is at half twelve uh, this afternoon. Yeah. Uh, half twelve o'clock. And when you talk about this commissioner for older people, uh, that's uh, for security reasons, is it? Uh, for people who uh, yeah, feel well, vulnerable. Well, in, in, in the north, they have two barristers on on the thing as well to help people if there's a. He also uh, investigates uh, nursing homes. He actually nearly mm. closed down one in Dunmurray outside Belfast, where like he was able to go in at the weekend and the staff were whistleblowers and told them what was going on. Whereas the other, the regulator would be going in and he's going nine to five, so the management is there. So at the weekend, the man got more information from the staff about the way the system was being handled. So in fact, the owner of this nursing home was a big builder in England worth £140 million sterling. Okay, okay. Well, we won't go into the the details of that, yeah. But uh, that's uh, that's the type of complaint uh, that you would like investigation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, And uh, if there's... uh, And different to HICWA, which carries out inspections here, that you'd be able to make uh, complaints directly to this commissioner. Yes, yes. Any individual or group can can, Mm. uh, approach him. And as well as that, about uh, people putting older people under financial pressure to get them mm. to sign over property and that, he helps that as well. Okay, and we're a week out for from the budget. Have you a message uh, for the government uh, from yes. pensioners uh, uh, advance of next week's announcements? Uh, yes, Pascal Dunhoe, don't touch our pension funds. We don't want another Michael Noonan thing. But I like the levy that Noonan brought out in 2011. Mm-hmm where he ripped off pension funds. Okay. Okay, strong message there. Uh, as I say, you'll be protesting. <laughs> okay. One, one o'clock, is it, uh, Michael? Yes. One o'clock outside of uh, the uh, Dáil, if uh, people wish uh, to join you this afternoon. Uh, and so thank you indeed uh, for joining us uh, this morning. Michael Casey is uh, the president of uh, the National Federation of Pensioners Associations. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on LMFM. LMFM. Paddy Malone, Piero with Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce uh, joins us uh, and a very good morning as always to you Paddy. I'm sure uh, as uh, somebody who's representing traders along uh, the border you're as confused as anybody this morning as to what is being proposed and as to what is not being proposed by the British government. RTA suggesting uh, that they're asking uh, the European Union to consider having customs checks on both sides of the border but some miles back from the border. Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister speaking to the BBC this morning then saying that that's not the case. He's dismissed that but said that there will have to be some checks somewhere and that's just the reality of the situation. What do you make of it all? Um, I make of it all just total confusion on the British side. The, the whole problem has been that when the referendum took place in 2016, no one gave it any consideration whatsoever. No one raised the question of Northern Ireland. No one raised the question of the island of Ireland anywhere on it. Now, you know, I know that the Irish government did spend some time in the UK raising issues and raising concerns, but I don't think anyone addressed the issue completely, honestly and properly at that time. Mm -hmm. And definitely nobody on the Leave side was challenged by the Remain side. It, It just was missed completely. And I know talking to people who were involved in the campaign in the UK, including members of the Labour Party here in Ireland, they said that there was just apathy was the only way they described it, that they felt that it would be 
you know, it just wasn't debated properly. Now, mm. the consequence of that and then the consequence of Boris Johnson having the election um, for, the, for the leadership of, and the prime ministership, I think he, was, he had to sound more and more hardline and right-wing for the, that was, was going on because he was being pushed by the other candidates that were running. So he had to be seen to be more Brexit than anybody else. Um, the problem with that is that he then leaves hostages to fortune because if he goes back to what he did a couple of months ago, which was to vote for the backstop with Theresa May, if he was to do that now, mm. he would be rightly asked, explain yourself over what you've said over the last six months. So he's backed himself into a corner. And unfortunately, that corner is what's going to affect everybody listening to your program mm. and listening to uh, listening, anyone living along the border, but everyone on the island. We're the ones that are suffering from this, and that's the chronic. And, Michael, we just, we, you and I talked about this three years ago, and mm. we said, you can't square circles. Mm. I mean, the Greeks well, tried to do it. You know, I don't know. That's this where is, we are. This is trying to throw a few rectangles and triangles and God knows what else into those circles that are impossible to square in the first place, because he's saying that there won't be a hard border, there won't be a need for a backstop to ensure that there won't be a hard border because that border won't be there. He's saying that there won't be customs checks a few miles back from the actual border, but he's saying the reality of it all is that there will have to be checks somewhere. Now, I don't know if it's pie in the sky or if he's suggesting he's that there'll be customs yeah. checks in the sky. He's floating kites to see what, he, what might be acceptable. Not so much to ourselves, because I think, he, I think Simon Coveney and Leo Varadkar and before that, into Kenny made it perfectly clear where we stood. Uh, but he's trying to get a chink between the EU and Ireland and maybe get the Germans or get somebody else on side and say, well, now, hang on a second, the Brits are making some sort of reasonable proposals. Now, you and I know that they're not reasonable and they're not workable. They're tights. And what the Irish government have got to do is stand up and make it clear. And the, the, hope, the, the, the thing that I would hope is that having met, met Michel Barnier when he visited the dock and Yuri, I met him twice, um, what struck me about it was he understood and got the exact situation. It didn't need to be explained to him. He understands the situation. So I think these kites will be blown away in the wind. And then what? That's the big question. Hmm. I think what we've got to then rely on is that the, the Ben proposal of the Ben Act, or as uh, Bowers calls it, the, the Sabotage Act or the, hmm. the, the Surrender Act, um, that it actually is watertight in the way that everyone thinks it is, uh, and that the Brits have to stay, um, and that common sense will prevail. And you know, the well, one thing that I, I watched well, Andrew Marr on being asked. the call about is everyone calm down and everyone take mm. a step back. Yeah. And the Prime Minister, more than anyone else, has to do that, even if he doesn't recognise mm. it. Um, that question of humbug, or when when the whole question about Joe Cox's murder was raised, was a disgrace. Mm. Um, and other matters like that. But what we've all got... Yeah, to but then he went on uh, and continued. After asking Absolutely. for restraint, he went on to the uh, Conservative Party conference uh, and uh, was as balchy as can be talking uh, about uh, military references when he talked about uh, the Surrender Act and so on. Uh, and he uh, may be able to get around the Ben Act, which is uh, this piece of law now, which requires him by law to ask for an extension to the 31st of October deadline if a deal is not struck by then. Uh, and he was asked this morning if the way he hopes to do that is by having Europe declare that he won't be given an extension. And there's also this other theory that he might send the letters and then rescind them. Uh, but I think more likely it is that he's hoping that somebody like the Hungarians or the Poles, or well, not the Poles, mm. but the Hungarians or some other right-wing government 
in the EU will play ball with them. But I think that's a pie-in-the-sky hope because the Hungarians or anybody else will realise that, you know, what side their bread is buttered on? They're in the EU. Mm. They're not going to play ball with a country that's... Well, the, fr- the, the, the French are losing patience, aren't they? I think everybody is, but I think at the end of the day, this is too critical to be lost. I think the EU understand the importance of the peace process and the whole thing. I mm. mean, it was interesting to hear somebody as moderate as the CBI, the Confederation of British Industry, Angela McGowan this morning saying, you know, these are pie in the sky no- notions. And we all recognise that. And... I don't think Boris thought it would work or anybody else. Now, maybe if it gets everyone around the table and at least talking about something, maybe something can evolve from it. But at the moment... Uh, well, what, what if he sent the letters looking for the extension uh, to the letter of the law and then rescinded those letters, uh, which <laughs> made I think them... The Supreme Court, I think the Supreme Court in the UK has shown itself to be powerful enough and independent enough, which is far more important, independent enough mm. of government to stand up and say, no, you don't. But now, we but, in this country but, have had a Supreme Court. But he's triggered Article 50, or uh, Theresa May triggered Article 50, and the British government has triggered Article 50, and by default, they would crash out on the 31st. Yeah, but the thing is that the Ben. I think if, he, if Boris sent the letter and then two minutes later sent a, re, uh, sent a, rescind, uh, a, a note to rescind it, I think the Supreme Court would slap him down. I think that, that they would rule that, that that's invalid, and that Parliament is supreme. And I don't think he'd get away with it. Um, I think that's the reality of the situation. Uh, I think it came as a huge shock that 11-0 was the win. You know, or the loss, whatever way you want to look at it. I mean, it wasn't even tight. I mean, very often the Supreme Court in Ireland or anywhere else, the judgments are in, in Ireland 3-2 or, you know, if the whole, mm. if the whole seven are meetings 4-3 or something like that. But 11-0 is a comprehensive defeat in any league or in any situation. So I think the Supreme Court... Plus, the Ban Act mm. is enough of a handcuff to make him do what he what he has to do. Well, what about this RTE report, though, and uh, the leaks to RTE that uh, the British government will be proposing uh, these customs checks some miles back from the border? Uh, he says it's not correct, uh, but it, it didn't just fall onto Tony Connolly's lap. Uh, no, somebody I, has I, I, has planted that information there. You say it's a, a kite, uh, but is there anything feasible in the proposal? No, I don't believe so. I mean, and uh, funny enough, I was speaking to, to a client of mine yesterday about the whole question, and we were talking about tariffs and everything else, and we were, you know, we were we were going through various scenarios, and this is not one that we actually discussed. Uh, we tried to think about everything, but this yeah. was one that I, I must admit I didn't cover. Um, what we are looking at is these proposals would amount to what is already there and what the Irish government and the Customs and Excise in this, on the south and in the north, to be fair, have actually tried to put in place at the moment. But we come back to what is the SME sector in Dundalk or along the border, small businesses. There is, you know, you can have a, um, a, an AEO uh, where you're a large company and you can sign up to import and export more or less uh, by uh, the banks guaranteeing that the tariffs and the VAT will be paid. Small SME companies that I would represent can't afford to go to the banks and get those guarantees. Mm. It's tying up a lot of money. Um, It's tying up a lot of red tape. I mean, the administration of filling in um, either an import declaration or an export declaration, every single one of them is difficult. And I know that firms like Beacons and others are superb at doing it. 
But like the problem that they have is they don't know whether they need 20 people working for them in November or 300 people working for them in November. Mm. And the problem with, the, with that difference of 280 is that 280 has to be trained for maybe a month or two months to bring them up to speed. So the whole thing is unworkable as it stands. And the main problem that we have in this area is a lot of businesses have a long time ago forgotten about the border. And they will look at price product and they will, uh, our, our people will try and be as competitive as they can when they're supplying customers. And if it means going north or south, we've done it. And, you know, long may the, the relationship between the two be as strong as that, because very definitely the dark chamber of commerce with the M1 corridor and the whole thing we did about selling the region as a, as a mm. unit, we want to see it develop as a unit. This idea of customs clearance, whether it's in Carrickgowan or whether it's in Dundalk or whether it's in Hagerstown or, you know, 10 miles further on or in Castle Bellingham, it doesn't bloody matter. It's a customs post. And you can call it what you like, but if it, if it quacks like a duck and looks like a duck, it's a bloody duck. Yeah. And, and we, can't, we can't operate or we can't go back to that scenario. And, you know, what annoys me is Johnson accepted that argument last March when he voted with Theresa May to support the agreement and the backstop. Mm. And now he's coming up with things that go unraveling a lot further back. I mean, Theresa May made a commitment in December 17, and everyone took that as being the base point and the starting point. Mm. And that has now been torn up, and we're further back. In fact, we don't even know how far back we are, because nothing like this has come from the British before. OK, well, on the 1st of October, we've 30 days to Halloween to the 31st of October. The clock is ticking, and very fast at this stage. Uh, we're running out of time. We are, and my, my advice as the ch- as PRO of the Chamber would be, you know, Intertrade are still offering uh, people to get one-to-one counselling, to know what's going on, there are courses being run on customs clearance and all the rest of it. And I can tell you something, that the first two or three that were run, we, we, there was full attendance, but there wasn't a backlog. I understand that currently there is a huge backlog and there's going to be additional courses have to be put on. But the problem is we're getting too close to the deadline now. And this hope that, and I talked to one client about mm-hmm. it late last week, and he said to me, ah, Paddy, look, um, get all the letters, get everything ready, but don't push any buttons mm-hmm. in, in case, because it will not happen. I don't think we can plan on that basis anymore. Yep. I think we've got to work on the basis. And business has... And That's it. Hope for the best, prepare for the worst. In this, every mm. single person listening to us this morning in Louth and Mead and everywhere else along the border needs to realise this is going to be dramatic if it's not handled properly. And we've got to, we've, we've got to recognise the reality mm. that little England really doesn't care. All right, we'll leave it there. And thank you, as always. Paddy Malone, PRO for Dundalk's Chamber of Commerce. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns is here with some of the calls and text messages that have come to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Before I get to the mountain of comments that have come in in relation to your interview with Jim Wells and that proposal from the UK on the custom posts, Pat rang in yesterday, Michael, during the show to raise the issue of flooding on many of the roads around the region following the few days of heavy rainfall and it's still pouring rain out there at the moment. He says that there's very bad flooding on many of the roads leading into Navin Town and find them very dangerous. Two motorists, many drivers are not realising how heavy the flooding is and then they're flooding their engines trying to drive through it. Mm. He says given the bad weather reports for later in the week with Storm Lorenzo due to hit Ireland, that councils need to look at how they are going about tackling 
flash flooding on our roads. He wants to know why they don't maybe consider sending out diggers to dig trenches, which would allow any gathered water to run off the road into the ditches. This would stop the flooding and make it much safer for everyone. Okay. Thanks for that. On uh, your interview at the top of the show, Mairead from Drogheda was listening in to Jim Wells and says, if this is their solution to the backstop, they may keep walking out the door. We will not be accepting a string of custom points along either side of the border. That's just not on. That's just not acceptable, says hmm. Mairead. Okay. Sean phoned in Michael Getham off the air. He is a disgrace. The DUP party is running out of friends. Don't think Boris cares too much about them or the North. The sooner there's a referendum on a united Ireland, the better. Mm-hmm. Tom has also phoned in. He says that Jim Wells is talking about the Irish Republic. We are Ireland, Michael. You should know better. You, we, you should not tolerate Jim Wells saying that type of thing. It's the North or the six counties, okay. says Thomas. All right. Well, I don't think Jim Wells will be too happy uh, nope. with uh, Dennis. Uh, two jurisdictions, I think everybody will uh, agree, whether you like it that way or not. Uh, Jim Wells would insist it's Northern Ireland and shouldn't be referred to as uh, the North and uh, that uh, it may be the island of Ireland, but uh, the Republic is a separate state. Uh, let's talk about the homelessness figures now, if we can uh, because it's uh, the seventh month in a row uh, that the figure has exceeded 10,000 people who are officially homeless in this country. 10,338 people who are living in emergency accommodation in this country. That's 6,490 adults and 3,848 children who don't have a place to call home. This morning, Saoirse Brady, Head of Legal Policy and Public Affairs with the Children's Rights alliances on the line. Good morning Saoirse and thanks for joining us. It's it's a a pretty shameful situation uh, and I I think uh, one that we're probably becoming accustomed to and uh, I say that because uh, I think it made the front page of one of the newspapers uh, this morning. I saw it on page 19 of another newspaper and uh, deep inside uh, the pages of many of the national newspapers uh, this morning Uh, and sort of an almost everyday reality of life in Ireland that there's children who go to bed in hotels and B&Bs and these hubs and so on. Hey, good morning, Michael, and thanks for having me on. And you're right, this isn't the first time we've talked about this issue either. Um, you know, what we need to see now is real action on child and family homelessness in particular. Um, the numbers are going up again. There was a slight dip, but we know that that's seasonal. You know, we have 70 more children in emergency accommodations in August than we did in July um, and, you know, coming up to Christmas, that those numbers will probably increase again unless something is actually done to tackle. And that increase of 70 in the last month is shocking yeah. in itself, isn't it? It is. When you think mm. about 70 children, that's, you know, two or three classes in a in a primary school, you know. So can you imagine all of those children being homeless? We should be shocked at that, never mind the fact that there's almost 4,000 children in this country currently homeless. So, you know, I think it is time for the government to rethink strategy, policy and the law as well. You know, we are running our No Child 2020 campaign, which we've spoken to you about before. And it's based on the democratic programme of 1919, where, you know, the visionaries who drew up that um, programme of the first doll looked. Every child should be with with shelter. No child should 
go without shelter. And, you know, here we are in 2019, 100 years later, seeing almost 4,000 children going without shelter. And that doesn't include the children who may be sleeping on, you know, their granny's sofa because they have no other choice. They're not always counted in the homelessness figures. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the line dropped out on us there for a, a moment, but uh, no, I think we got the gist of, of what you were saying there, Saoirse. Uh, but uh, for each child who is in this situation, uh, they're certainly blameless uh, and they're certainly facing a, a, a difficult situation in terms of how they go about their daily lives and how they're perceived by other people uh, and indeed uh, other pupils uh, who they may be in school with. Yes, and you know, we had released our no, I'm afraid I think we've uh, lost the line this oh, time with no. Sir. Uh, Sir. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we'll try to stay Sorry with you there. We, not at all. Yeah. We lost the line there again, uh, but we'll try to stay with you. Uh, we were just saying that uh, a lot of these children uh, face uh, a, a lot of uh, obstacles and uh, their lives are difficult, but uh, not just in terms of uh, because of being homeless, but the way that they are perceived for that matter. Yeah, and, you know, that is something that's come out of research that we've done, that, you know, children really worry about what their friends think of them. So that, you know, they don't want them to know that they're homeless, so they don't often tell them. They don't tell the teachers in school. And, you know, that has an impact on their educational um, attainment. It has an impact on, you know, how they interact with their friends. You know, you see their social groups shrinking. Um, you know, they might only have one or two close friends that they confide in. And that all has a knock-on impact on their mental health and emotional well-being. And that is something that needs to be addressed. So what we would say in the Children's Rights Alliance is that the current law that's in place um, around homelessness and housing isn't really fit for purpose in terms of children. It doesn't take children into account. So what we need is to see law that looks at what is best for a child when they're making decisions about where, where they're placed, so that they're placed near the school, that they don't have two or three hour journeys and commutes to school every day, that, you know, very small children, um, you know, have the space that they need to actually develop, learn to crawl, learn to walk, um, that people are properly fed and the families aren't reliant on meal times um, and can actually feed their children what they want when they need it. Mm. Um, Where's the Minister for Children on all of this? Uh, Because uh, we've had a children's rights referendum in this country, uh, which may have brought about some benefits uh, to children, but something like this surely is a violation of human rights. Uh, And when children uh, are left without somewhere to live, surely it's the responsibility of the Minister to look at uh, the Constitution now and the rights of children under the Constitution and to, to insist on change. And I think in fairness to Minister Sapone, the Minister for Children and Youth Affairs, when um, Rebuilding Ireland was being put together, which is the government's response to um, homelessness in the country, she did actually get some measures inserted on children and child and family homelessness, which weren't there before. But ultimately, we know one of our members, Focus Ireland, thinks there needs to be a whole new strategy Mm. on um, child and family homelessness in itself. Well, that's we it. Two, year, two years yeah. on from that strategy, yeah, the, the figures get worse. They're still going mm. up. Yeah. Um, but I think as well, you, you, you mentioned something there, um, Michael, about a constitutional challenge um, on this. And we know that a number of our members, like Mercy Law Resource Centre, are taking those constitutional challenges based on the rights of the child in terms of families who can't get housing, can't get adequate housing. But the courts, you know, there, there needs to be a culture shift and the courts are actually looking at that. Um, we also are looking at taking a, a collective complaint to Europe on this, this very issue, on the rights of the child and trying to see, you know, 
what rights are breached by the lack of adequate housing that are provided for children. And, you know, that will take some time to put in place, but we are working with members at the moment to put that forward um, and bring that complaint to the um, European Committee on Social mm. Rights, okay. you know, which I think will be, um, you know, an, an important marker. We'll also have to report to the UN Committee on the Rights of the Child. Homelessness did come off last time, but that was back in 2016, and things have, you know, deteriorated rapidly since then. Um, you know, we are in a crisis. We need to declare an emergency and we actually need to take action that will really um, ensure that children and families have a home to live in. You know, mm. the, the government response to family hubs is all very well and they, they are better than the emergency accommodation that's there. But ultimately, you know, the children don't see them as a, as a long-term solution. They don't see that place as home. And we need to actually invest in public housing and ensure that there is enough public housing that our children don't end up in these places. Okay, Sir, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning, as always. Sir Brady is Head of Legal Policy and Public Affairs with the Children's Rights Alliance. Now, let's go back uh, to the phones and indeed uh, some of the calls and text messages that you have there, Marie. Yes, Michael, and go back to that Jim Wells interview. Kieran phoned in. I don't know how you give so much radio time to Jim Wells. He's telling us this is going to happen or that is going to happen. How does he know, Michael, he doesn't even speak on behalf of the D? UP anymore and when he talks about Northern Ireland it really irritates me it is the North Mark says in that one conversation Jim Wells managed to insult so many people including your own staff Michael you really run out of hope when you listen to the likes of him uh, listening into Paddy Malone says Declan Boris Johnson cannot be trusted he would do whatever it takes to get the UK out of the EU everyone has been saying all along there will have to be checks somewhere they were talking about in the sea at one stage we should be very grateful to our own government who did insist on that backstop originally. Okay. So we'll finish on that All one. right. Well, thanks uh, for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 1850 715 958. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Budget 2020 will uh, be announced in a week from now. Today, Sinn Féin is publishing its and is promising a balanced budget in the context of a no-deal Brexit. Let's hear how they hope uh, to change our, our lives, undoubtedly for the better, by speaking to the Sinn Féin spokesperson on finance, Piers Doherty, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you, and thanks for joining us. Uh, is it uh, right to have a, a budget next week? Before we talk about the Sinn Féin's plans, uh, should the budget not be postponed until after Brexit? I think there's merit in, in, in that argument, to tell you the truth. Um, it, it, given that in the next month we're likely to know in relation to what will happen or what's likely to happen. The, and we're obliged to publish a, a budget, but couldn't we just say steady as she goes uh, and then come back to it in the new year? It is. And look, your, your draft budget is only a draft budget and it can be changed any time until the financial measures are, are introduced. There'll be a number of financial measures that are introduced on budget night, but they're few and far between. They're usually the likes of uh, increases in excise, such as tobacco, or if, 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 for example, the government are introducing carbon taxes, which we would be opposed to, that, that's more than likely going to happen on budget night but all the other measures are, are later on in the year. The difficulty is, given the the scenario that's going on and the, the, the craziness that's happening across the water, there's no guarantee that if you postpone this for a month that there would be any further clarity in relation to Brexit. So we need to prepare a budget that 
takes into uh, cognizance the, the idea of a no-deal Brexit and the impact on that. And I, I believe, mm. as we've done, that we can still prepare a budget that gives workers and families a break while also making sure that we prepare for uh, the worst scenario in terms of a no-deal Brexit. Do we know what that is, though? I mean, people can do that to the best of their ability. Uh, and I think you've spoken over the years with great certainty about your calculations, but nothing is certain at the moment because whilst you may be able to say that as a result of a no deal Brexit X will happen the consequence for Y and Z are something else and there is this domino effect Exactly, you're, you're 100% right there and that's why we've we've said in our in our uh, document I hear that there has to be a, a Brexit stabilisation fund uh, of 2 billion euro that this needs to be deployed by departments uh, as the case arises uh, because there are uncertainties for example we don't know what the sterling exchange rate will go to if it goes to a certain level it will impact on, on certain sectors if it stays at a certain level that impact may be negligible so that that fund needs to be there to support sectors to support jobs and support regions that will be worst affected uh, by Brexit and and we've identified that 2 billion euro uh, from diverting money away from the rainy day fund and Mm. into a Brexit stabilisation fund that needs to be drawn down when and needed uh, in the context of no deal scenario. But uh, at the same time uh, you're suggesting or proposing increasing spending yeah, well, we've we've looked at uh, you know it looks at areas in terms of where spending needs to be increased. As I said, we firmly believe that families and workers need to be given a break. So we ha- have introduced a number of measures. For example, uh, a rent freeze. On, on rental properties, but also for a three-year period, but also uh, a tax rebate, which would be the equivalent of month, one month's tax back or rent back for every renter in the in the state. Uh, we want to give uh, ensure that we start delivering on universal health care, and one of the first steps of that there would be two free GP visits uh, for everybody that doesn't have a medical card or a GP only visit card. We want to deal with the the, the high cost of childcare, which is having an effect on the economy, but also is having an effect on on on. On, the, on people's pockets um, we are paying the highest childcare costs in the world mm. uh, and it's just we see from the report this week just increased again by nearly another 4% uh, so we have a tr- five year transformation programme uh, that will reduce uh, within the five years costs of childcare by 66% uh, slashing them by two thirds while at the same time increasing the uh, uh, the wages that the people worth in that sector take home because they're very much an underpaid uh, sector and, and therefore undervalued as a result of that pay structure but in year one that would have the impact in our budget of reducing the cost of childcare fees uh, by €100 Euro per month per child in, 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 in that type of setting. And we can do this, Michael, because we're willing to actually look at areas that the government uh, are unwilling to touch. Uh, we believe it's not right. We believe it's indeed immoral that banks such as AIB, Bank of Ireland, they're all making over a billion euro of profit. They're not going to pay corporation tax for another 20 years because of a, a measure that was introduced a number of years ago. We want to end that. It'll bring in 175 million euro. Uh, we want to make sure that uh, multinational uh, ta- ta- companies that onshore intellectual uh, assets, this is kind of a, ta- a loophole that was identified by uh, an expert that did a report for the Department of Finance. Uh, that expert is actually the chair of the uh, Irish Fiscal Advisory Council. He's called for that to be closed down. It brings in another three quarters of a billion euro. And there's a number of other measures that we've identified mm. that can allow for us to, to do the type of investments in, in ensuring that we give those families and, and workers a break. So while you're talking on one hand uh, about spending more money, you're talking on the other hand about raising more money uh, through those type of, of measures. Uh, 
and uh, I think people might be astounded at how 70 million euro a year is being lost on uh, that Apple tax fund uh, that uh, is being held whilst uh, the, the, the decision is being made on uh, who's entitled to it. Yeah, and as bad as that, that, that 70 million euro losses, that the, the idea that we're actually spending millions of euro in, in legal fees to try and avoid uh, taking what the European uh, Commission has said is rightfully ours, mm. which is 14.3 billion euro of, of tax revenue that that company should have been paying to us over a 10 year period. I, I think that's just uh, appalling. Uh, given the, the the challenges that we have, given the the rising costs that we have in different sectors, whether they're rent, whether they're insurance, whether they're yeah. in childcare, uh, or indeed the, the the challenges we have in dealing with the the, the climate uh, justice um, uh, scenario uh, that 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 that's really facing down us on us, and the the type of investment we need in public transport uh, to make sure that there are alternatives there for us. But you know, this government, as I said, is approaches they take a kids' glove approach to the banks, to the insurance companies uh, to some of the tax loopholes that are there for for some of the multinationals and they're few and far between uh, the the number that are availing of this uh, but they lose a huge amount of revenue while in the same time uh, you know they're talking about penalizing ordinary people again by introducing another tax uh, on 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 petrol on fuel uh, on diesel which will uh, weigh down heavy on ordinary families uh, we were just uh, talking about the homelessness figures uh, a moment ago with the head of legal policy with the Children's Rights Alliance and Saoirse Brady was suggesting uh, that a a legal challenge may be taken in this country because of how constitutional rights are being breached following the children's referendum uh, uh, for those children who find themselves uh, out of a home or for a challenge uh, to be taken against the Irish government uh, to the European Court of Justice because their human rights are being denied uh, and that in itself highlights the scale of the problem. The problem is to a large degree because of how unaffordable renting has become in this country and that's why you're suggesting this rent freeze would be put in place. But uh, if a rent freeze is to be put in place, uh, does it mean that it would become more affordable to pay huge amounts of money uh, in rent uh, because uh, that uh, would in effect go to the landlords? Well, there's three parts probably to this stool in terms of, of, of rents. For, first of all, there needs to be a freeze, uh, which means that no rents can increase uh, over the three-year period. And we see that uh, in parts of the country that rents have increased in double digits uh, in the last year. Uh, rents are now just beyond uh, an ordinary person's means, and it's, it's, it's seriously putting pressure on families uh, and, and renters. Uh, the second part of it is, is, while that will give certainty that the rents won't increase over the three years, we need to give those renters a break. Uh, and that's why uh, uh, tax relief uh, will be introduced. We used to have one in the 1980s. Indeed, it was only actually got rid of. It was finally phased out just uh, three or four years ago. Uh, so it existed in the past. The problem was it didn't work. Uh, at the end because what happened was it was just being absorbed and uh, into landlord's hikes. That wouldn't happen under our proposal because there would be a freeze. They couldn't actually increase rents during this period. And what the re- what the tax relief amounts to is that it's, about, it's one month's rent back that you would get. So it would be a reduction of about 8% on, on your rental and you would get that directly back from the exchequer. Now those two measures are temporary measures over a three-year period and, and they'll only really work wh- wh- when you... Wh- 
uh, if you do the third part, and that is actually significantly increase the number of the amount of investment in social affordable and cost rental homes uh, to increase supply. And that's why in our alternative budget, we're identifying Mm. 1.1 billion euro of additional money going into uh, housing construction, which will double the number of uh, units that the uh, government plan to deliver next year, increasing uh, by 8,700 social affordable and cost rental uh, housing. And that's the only way really in the long term by increasing that type of supply that we can ensure that rents will come down. But in the meantime, we need to introduce those temporary measures of the rent freeze uh, and the rent rebate uh, that will see certainty that they can't go up and also that the exchequer pays back uh, one month of rent through that tax relief system. Okay, well, no doubt uh, we'll see big differences uh, when we weigh up uh, what uh, the Minister announces next Tuesday uh, in relation uh, to what you're proposing in your alternative uh, budget, uh, which is being published today for Sinn Féin. Uh, but before you leave us uh, this morning, Pierce Doherty, can you make any sense of what the British Prime Minister has been saying this morning? He's dismissed uh, that report from RTE, which has suggested that there would be customs checks several miles back from the border on both sides of the border but at the same time he said the reality of the situation is that there will be ha- there will have to be customs checks somewhere Look, the challenge you put out to me there is trying to make sense of Boris Johnson and, uh, you know, that's that's something that very few of us here uh, are, are able to do at this point in time. Uh, we see that the, the detail, and there's a lot of detail in relation to those papers of checks on both sides of the border, or the trusted traders and, and all of that type of scheme that's put forward. It, it, I believe it, that that is what they've put forward. I, I don't believe in his dismissal that it's not the case. Uh, and he's talking in forked tongues. And the reality is, look, this is, this is simply not a starter. It's This undermines the Good Friday Agreement. It hardens the border in a very serious way with infrastructure on both sides. Uh, It undermines and and completely rubbishes the commitments we've got from the British government uh, in relation to the peace process, the Good Friday Agreement, and no hardening of the border. And it it will be simply rejected. And, you, you know, Boris Johnson's no fool. He knows that it's going to be rejected by the European Union. He knows it's going to be rejected by the Irish government. So the question is, is why is he putting this forward in the first place? And you can only summar- summarise that he's put this forward for it to be rejected and that he's hell-bent on, uh, on a no-deal uh, scenario at this point in time. And is that what you're expecting? I, I hope not. Um, I think we need to, to, to move might and main over mm-hmm. the next month to try and convince uh, you know, the, the, the British government that, uh, that, that this is not good in the interest of anybody. Uh, we have a very uh, we, a peace process that has been fragilely created uh, you know, over, uh, over the last 20 years. Uh, we can see in terms of the fragility of some of that with uh, some of those that would like to take us to, uh, you know, into a situation of, 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 of violence. Uh, it's not acceptable by anybody on the island of Ireland. Uh, but the idea of the British government, you know, at this point in time, talking about infrastructure on both sides of the border, it shows clearly that Boris Johnson and the people around them uh, ha- have no regard to the peace process, don't care about the, the consequences in relation to this year, uh, and are simply guided completely uh, by, 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 by Brexit without any uh, reference or, uh, uh, you know, any... Uh, notion of the consequences that that will bring about. So, okay. you know, mm. uh, given that we're down to the wire here, yeah. it's very hard to see how a solution will be found, but we need to continue to tr- strive for that f- solution. If it can't be found, let's be clear, Michael, there is a solution then post, if, if there is a crash out of the European Union, then the solution is that we need to look within the Good Friday Agreement, and the Good Friday Agreement allows for a border poll. Uh, you know, the issue of cons- 
Brexit, where the people of the North will decide whether they want to remain with Britain or in a new Ireland, uh, is fundamental and core to the Good Friday Agreement. We see from re- recent opinion polls that if that a referendum were ha- to happen tomorrow, the majority of people would be voting for a new Ireland and to break the links with Europe and therefore re-enter into the European Union. So if that is the scenario we're faced, although we, we don't want that scenario, we want you know we want the, the backstop to, to remain in place, but if it's not, then we have to go to the Good Friday Agreement and we have to now push for a border poll. All right, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this morning. That's Piers Doherty, Sinn Féin's spokesperson on finance. Michael Reed on LMFM. The DUP's Jim Wells told us earlier in the programme that he believes it will be a tragedy if abortion is introduced in Northern Ireland under what is effectively a Conservative Party DUP government. Yesterday, a joint statement from the leaders of the Church of Ireland, the Methodist Church in Ireland, the Roman Catholic Church, the Presbyterian Church in Ireland and the Irish Council of Church called on the Secretary of State to recall the Assembly before the 21st of October when this legislation would take effect to allow the parties the opportunity to challenge the legislation and the churches collectively called on their members and congregations to pray, call for change and to lobby their locally elected representatives in relation to this issue. Reverend Trevor Gribben is the Joint Secretary to the Church Leaders Group Ireland and on the line and a very good morning to you Reverend Gribben and thanks for joining us. Uh, Good good morning Michael. uh, Are you somewhat fatalistic about this at this stage given the disarray that there is in British politics? Uh, Far from being fatalistic, we are very concerned. Uh, Michael, there's widespread concern throughout our community at the prospect of an almost unregulated abortion regime being imposed in Northern Ireland from Westminster. There's absolutely no evidence that the changes proposed regarding abortion that were tacked on to a different piece of legislation in Northern Ireland Executive Formation Bill reflect in any way the will of the people here in Northern Ireland. They happened with with a total absence of proper devolved democratic scrutiny and decision-making. These changes go far beyond what some people sometimes describe as as the hard cases, things like fatal fatal, fatal Mm. abnormality, rape or incest. They remove from law in Northern Ireland, all explicit protection for the unborn child up to 28 weeks of pregnancy. They, they, they offer no specific protection for unborn babies with disability. They, they don't prohibit abortion based on the choice of the sex of a baby. And that's why the leaders of the main churches, who are, are we're all Ireland churches, have made this statement, calling our people to pray specifically on the 12th and 13th of October, joined with many others, praying for the protection of the unborn, but also praying for women in difficult and challenging pregnancies, calling our people to sign the petition launched by Baroness Nulo alone via the change.org website, and also, as you said, Mm. calling on our people, and we as church leaders, calling on our political parties uh, to do something about it. Michael, the legislation that went through Westminster is, is, is complicated, but it has a clause in it that if devolution in Northern Ireland is back up by 21st of October and assembly and executive formed, then that legislation abortion will fall, and that's what we feel should happen. Mm. And then 
our locally elected representatives should deal with it in the Assembly and bring in legislation that's specific to Northern Ireland that has community, uh, ideally cross-community support, uh, and that will deal with these challenging issues. Uh, and that in, in itself faces you with a, a, another and a separate question, doesn't it, uh, in that if devolution is restored, uh, there's the prospect that you'd be looking at exactly the same outcome. Uh, the institutions collapsed over the cash for ash, uh, but the issues uh, that have been in dispute since then are predominantly the Irish language, same-sex marriage and abortion. Michael, there are many issues, we're told, that cause a block to the restoration of devolution. Devolution needs to be back in Northern Ireland for lots of reasons. Mm. Things like the welfare reform mitigations are about to run out next April. Uh, We need politicians, we need executive ministers to take decisions to instruct our civil service and things like education, our health service. There are lots of reasons always for not doing things. Mm. The forthcoming deadline about abortion is a reason for doing something. We're calling upon all political parties to set aside their red lines, to agree what can be done, to make honourable accommodations, to enable devolution to get back up and running again. The time is short, but this can be done. Michael, I'm also General Secretary of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, and all Ireland Church again. We have a very clear view on the change of the definition of marriage here in Northern Ireland. We think it should stay as it is, that marriage in Northern Ireland is still between one man and one woman. But we recognise that many people differ from us. The, The Assembly should come back. Uh, our politicians should discuss this. Mm. And if there is a majority to change the definition of marriage through our proper, devolved, accountable systems of scrutiny, then that will be the democratic will. But the difference is, if that change happens, it'll be done in a thought-out way. Mm. And you'll accept it. Well, look, mm. if and when the law mm. changes in, in, in a proper manner, mm. then of course all democratics have to accept it. Now, but it's this imposition which would take place on the 21st of October that you object to. That is the mm. issue. Now, mm. now let me be clear. Mm. We, do, As Presbyterian and, and along with many other churches, we don't want the law to change in Northern Ireland on, on issues like uh, so-called same-sex marriage. Mm-hmm. But what should happen is that there should be debate in the Assembly. Proper, for instance, if that law is going to change, proper protection should be built in. There, there should be consultation through our committee system. It should be done here in Northern Ireland. There are some parties who are always objecting to the British Parliament imposing things upon the island mm. of Ireland. Well, this should not be imposed upon us. Our locally elected MLAs, Irish men and women in our Northern Ireland Assembly, should legislate for legislation that is fit for purpose, that has cross-community support. And in this abortion thing, uh, this abortion legislation from Westminster, what what is proposed goes far too far. Would it suit those politicians in Northern Ireland? Uh, I mean, to have it imposed on them so that they don't have to take responsibility for introducing this legislation, would that suit all of the politicians in Northern Ireland who know that unless they can reach an agreement on these issues, which has eluded them over the course of the last couple of years, uh, well, then uh, they uh, can say, well, look, it was Westminster's fault. 
I've heard lots of conspiracy theories, Michael, over the months and indeed the years now since devolution fell. Uh, let me say two things about that. First of all, when this legislation went through Westminster, the date of the 21st of October was put in, I think, rather cynically, that if devolution is backed by the 21st of October, of course, this will fall and devolve institutions will deal with it. Everybody knows that a Brexit date is coming up on the 31st of October. Your listeners may well have heard about that. <laughs> Everybody knows that the RHI report, which is controversial, the Cash for Ice report, mm-hmm. is still about to come. And it is really difficult. And those who put that date in knew it would be really difficult for our politicians to get Stormont up and running again by 21st of October. But it must happen. Mm-hmm. If there are political parties who are sitting in their hands doing nothing, so that someone else takes a hard decision on this issue of abortion, well, then they should really, in a sense, be ashamed of themselves. Because we are talking about a life and death issue here. The most important role of a politician is to protect people in life and death issues. And the most vulnerable people in our society are unborn children. Our politicians should have the courage to meet again in the Assembly, to do what's right, and to legislate, yes, on this issue, on issues of marriage, if that's what the Assembly vote for, on issues of Irish language. Look, the mm. Irish language is no threat to me mm. as a Presbyterian. It is dear and valued by many of my Roman Catholic and nationalist fellow citizens. Mm. And, and therefore, look, I, I don't oppose legislation mm. on, 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 on Irish language. People have made it a big political issue mm. by demanding it from a Republican perspective. People from a unionist perspective, mm. sadly, have made it into an issue, saying the whole world will fall apart. But, but, but they may be able oh. to swallow it uh, with some uh, amendment uh, allowing for Ulster Scots. Uh, but uh, one side wants same-sex marriage, the other doesn't. One side wants abortion, the other doesn't. So if that's dealt with by somebody else, uh, they may be able to find a, an agreement on all of these issues. Do you know what should happen? Our Assembly should come back. This Westminster-imposed legislation abortion should fall. The Assembly should have indicative votes in principle on issues like the Irish language and same-sex marriage. And if those issues get a majority in the early days of the Assembly, then proper legislation should come in in both those areas through the proper scrutiny system of the Assembly. With regard to abortion, there is a joint report from the Department of Health and Justice sitting on the shelf waiting for an executive to deal with it to find a way forward for the hard cases in abortion with regard to either regulation or legislation. That should happen. We need Northern Ireland solutions with Irish MLAs sitting in the Assembly legislating for the people of Northern Ireland. We don't need abortion almost on demand legislated and imposed upon us from Westminster. Okay. They're strange days, it has to be said, uh, but uh, few few of them left uh, in terms of meeting that deadline of uh, the 21st of October. Uh, we leave it there for the moment and thank you indeed for joining us this morning. That's the Reverend Trevor Gribben, who is uh, the Joint Secretary to the Church Leaders Group Ireland. 
Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents. Garda are investigating locally and perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Garda Liam Hennessy of Slane Garda Station joins us for the report this week. And we begin with a burglary which occurred in Dundalk. Sometime during the early hours of last Friday morning, a business premises was broken into at Lisdew on the Newry Road in Dundalk. Four suspects entered the premises by breaking a pane of glass in the office front door. They then left the premises via a knocked wall at the rear. My colleagues in Dundalk Garda Station wish to speak with anyone who saw or heard anything unusual in the Lisdew area on the Newry Road last Friday morning between 1am and 2.30am or indeed have saw these four male suspects in the area at this time. All right, and we'll stay in Dundalk, uh, uh, but we'll uh, go to Sunday, where a robbery occurred. Uh, this was at a, a garage on uh, the Dublin Road. That's right. A member of staff at a filling station on the Dublin Road in Dundalk was assaulted by a male who was attempting to steal his phone from the shop. Um, this was on Saturday evening last, the 29th of September. This occurred at a quarter to seven in the evening, and my colleagues in Dundalk Garda Station would like to speak with anyone who was in the vicinity of the Circle K filling station at this time. To Black Rock next, and uh, a theft which occurred on Friday. A white Renault Master van was broken into on the Rock Road in Black Rock on Friday last, the 27th of September, shortly after half past three in the afternoon. A substantial amount of building tools and equipment was taken from this vehicle, causing distress and upheaval to the owner. A red Honda generator, an impact gun and a Makita power drill were among those items taken. The guardian and Dundalk wished to speak with anyone who saw or heard anything suspicious around the school on the Rock Road in Black Rock on Friday afternoon last and helped them solve this crime. OK, we we'll go back almost a, a week uh, to a burglary which uh, occurred in Dunshockland. This was uh, a premises on the Main Street. That's right. Um, a burglary happened at a mobile phone shop on Main Street, Dunshockland, in the early hours of Wednesday morning last, the 25th of September. A window was broken at the front of the shop and the culprits appear to have been disturbed during the course of this crime. A Northern Irish registered Volkswagen Golf was seen acting suspiciously in the area at this time and my colleagues at Dunshockland Garda Station are seeking the help of anyone who witnessed this incident taking place or saw this vehicle to make contact with them. Uh, another burglary to report on. Uh, this happened in the Longwood area going into the weekend. That's right. A burglary occurred at Ballyclare Longwood between 9.30am and 1.30pm on Friday the 27th of September last. The culprits gained entry through a window of a garage at this time. An amount of gardening tools, such as a steel hedge cutter and a Ryobi strimmer, were stolen during the course of this burglary. My colleagues at Trim Garda Station are looking for help from any member of the public who saw or heard anything unusual in the Ballyclare area of Longwood on Friday last to help them solve this crime. And on Friday last, another burglary. This one occurred, though, in Enfield. Yep, this burglary took place last Friday evening between 7 and 8pm in the Glenowen estate in Enfield. Entry was gained to the house by forcing a side door and a sum of money was taken during the course of this burglary. Um, the guardian at Enfield Garda Station wished to speak with anyone who saw anything unusual in the Glenowen estate at this time and help them investigate. OK, and we'll conclude with two separate thefts that occurred over two different days, uh, both from MPVs and both at Douth and Slane. 
That's right. Two cars were broken into at the Douth Monument in Slane on two separate days last week. The first incident occurred on Wednesday morning last at around half eleven, and the second happened on Thursday last at around midday. In both these incidents, the injured parties involved were tourists who had personal property stolen from their cars, and the Gardaí at Slane Garda station are anxious to speak with anyone who can help them solve these crimes. I'm sure they are, and uh, I'm sure the tourists uh, who got caught up in those incidents uh, will hope uh, that uh, the Gardaí can investigate them successfully, perhaps with the assistance of our listeners. Thank you, though, uh, for the report this week. Garda Liam Hennessy of Slane Garda Station. Now, before we leave you today, let's uh, go back uh, to what you've been saying to us on the phones. You have some more calls and comments for us there, Marie. I have indeed, Michael. Okay. Sorry, you're coming across loud there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I says, if there were custom posts would you be stopped if you were doing shopping in the north? She wants to know. Uh, hard to believe, says Seamus, that Boris wasn't sacked after wrongly suspending the Parliament. It just proves how bad things are in the UK when he's been allowed to stay on as Prime Minister in the current circumstances. Deirdre got in touch and she says... I think, Michael, it's time to go back to the people of the UK and have another referendum. There doesn't seem to be any solution that's accepted to all sides. And it's a huge worry for people in Ireland waiting to see what is going to happen next. We don't need physical borders or or custom points. We don't need them and we don't want them. Pat from that. Pat from Navin phoned in and Pat says that he feels that Paddy Malone uh, from Dundalk Chamber hit the nail on the head when he said at the end of your interview, Michael, that the UK doesn't care. Hopefully our EU friends will stand by us because I feel he is right. I think what is going on in the UK at the moment is pure madness. We have never witnessed scenes like it that we have seen seen in the UK Parliament over the past couple of weeks. And he worries about where it's all going to end for Ireland. All right. And maybe uh, we'll hear more from uh, the British Prime Minister uh, before we do. Uh, some of uh, the coverage in the British papers uh, this morning, the Daily Telegraph saying that Johnson is to reveal his final Brexit plan and is determined to leave. Johnson to know by the weekend whether he has a chance of a Brexit deal, according to the Financial Times. Block Brexit delay, says Johnson on the front of uh, the Times. A very interesting story about Boris Lover, in uh, uh, inverted commas, in fear over her stolen laptop. Ex-model tells friends she's worried about what was stored on the computer. Government of National Unity uh, talks begin, according uh, to I, and The Guardian says ministers defend PM on groping allegations. Let's hear what the Prime Minister had to say to the BBC this morning about those groping allegations and as to whether they were true or not. A recent poll suggested that one in five women regarded you as honest. Almost half said you were, forgive me, dislikable. And the recent allegations... The recent allegations... um, Just be clear with people, because they may not have heard you say it. You are saying that when a distinguished journalist said that you grabbed her thigh... What are you telling us about those allegations? I, I'm, I obviously look. I don't minimise the importance of such allegations, and I don't minimise the importance of the issue. Let's be clear about that. But it is not true, and there's nothing really more that I can say about. Just a last thought, if I would. I deliberately made this, and forgive me, personal to you, because earlier in the programme we were hearing you made, from you made, people. You made what personal? Oh, the interview, because. Yeah. Uh, 
earlier in the programme we heard from people who used to work for you who said, in effect, what, what's happened to the old Boris Johnson? What's happened to the person that I used to live with and work with? Have you, in the last ten weeks, when you've been criticised for splitting your party, losing your majority, alienating your brother and sister, upsetting the Queen, and being found unlawful by the highest court in the land, are you going to do something differently? Or are you telling I people, can, can I, I res- carry on? Well, Nick, can I just see, I, what the way I look at it, and forgive me if I seem, uh, if I seem stubborn in this uh, respect, and I, and I apologise if I seem stubborn, but the way I look at it is that I've been tasked by the British people with a particularly difficult job at a challenging time for our country, which is to deliver on the mandate of the British people in 2016. And they voted to come out of the EU. The 17.4 million people voted in the biggest ever expression of uh, the people's will over any subject. And uh, the, the trouble has been, basically, that there are a lot of very, very well-meaning and intelligent people who disagree with that opinion. So, yes, he is going to go on. In other words, uh, that's the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson speaking to Nick Robinson on BBC Radio 4 today. Marie, you've uh, some more comments before we leave. I have indeed, Michael. Uh, we played the Vox Pop yesterday. I was out in Ashburn asking people about children spending too much time with the internet and uh, Geraldine from Balbriggan was listening in and says that sh- the young girl that I interviewed is right about young people not talking to each other. She says she's a mother of a teenage girl and when the- her friends come over, instead of chatter, they're all on their phones and she says she also observes this in restaurants and she just wonders, why do they bother meeting up at all? <laughs> so there you go. Sorry? Uh, why- oh, oh, sorry, I was on my phone. <laughs> okay, listen, we've run out of time. We have to leave it there for the moment. Thanks, uh, Marie, and thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. That has to be the final word. Our time has run out. A podcast on lmfm.ie this afternoon. Thanks to Marie Kearns for producing, Maggie McGuire for researching and Chris Marie in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.